Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Celtics Stuff Live with your hosts, Justin Poulin and John Duke. Welcome to Celtics Stuff Live on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for the Boston Celtics, who are not in session, John. And we're all sitting at home, maybe getting a little squirrely, trying to figure out how to fill our days, but be safe. Marcus Smart. Let us know that he had actually tested positive, but really wasn't having any symptoms and was doing well. Thank goodness. Who knows what's going to happen with the season? But, uh, you know, some creative things going on in the industry to keep us sort of plugged in and engaged. One being CLNS Media with the uh, virtual games and the play-by-play with Max and Grandy and Nick. Good stuff. Enjoying that. And then I'm not able to see anything in the local market, but you texted me, what was it, Friday night and said, hey, if you can get it, you need to log on because uh, we have Paul Pierce and Scal. Was that right? That's right. Yeah. Went play by play of game six of the 2008 uh, championship Celtics team or two, two, 2007 2008 championship team. Uh, the big win over the Lakers to put Banner 17 up into the rafters, a game that I had the pleasure of not only being at, but being behind the scenes and, and uh, having the pleasure of getting to ask Kevin Garnett a question. I also wanted to let you know. I bought the movie Uncut Gems to watch. Just, again, that was one of the ways I passed the time. Pretty phenomenal movie, but we can get to that later. What are you doing, my friend? Are you staying sane, and how are you uh, getting your Celtics fix? Uh, I'm doing a podcast with a, uh, <laughs> a fellow insane person. Uh, it's it's tough, right? Like That's what we're all trying to do is seek out these different little snippets of our day. I mean, a Friday night in March or a Sunday in March are prime times when our body, our body clocks as fans are kind of tuned to, oh, you know, I got to watch the game tonight because we're two and a half games back of Toronto and Toronto's playing in Milwaukee and we could gain a game, you know, all that type of stuff. Like that's what my brain, my heart, my body is like telling me is like Friday night, no joke. I didn't go to work. I, I, who, you know, I'm working from home, but you know, and, um, 
I'm sitting there. <laughs> Thus I'm like, the fact, the reason that neither of us have shaved. Right. <laughs> and you know, so I'm going, and I'm just like, okay, well, it's Friday night. Can I turn, you know, turn the game on. You know, it, like there was a part of my body was like ready to do that. The sunlight is kind of still up. It's like, oh, okay, dinner's over. Time to sit down. See what Mike and Tommy have got going. You know, the Celtics are playing tonight, and it's just like. Uh, so the ability Friday night to sit down and be like, oh, Sullivan's basketball. Okay. You know, that was, it was kind of like comforting in a way. Unfortunately, I heard, had to hear Mike Breen and, you know, that's a whole other story, but, you know, but it was. <laughs> Beggars can't fan. be choosers, right? Beggars can't be choosers. And it was the Celtics. It was KG, you know, it was Paul and. You know the other guy, and then you know Rondo, and it was it was awesome. It was just so much fun. It was just all those memories were kind of flooding back of that night, watching the game, how I was feeling, you know how you you know you and I doing the show with JB afterwards. Twelve years ago, right with Patrick, Patrick Gilroy. Gilroy. That's yeah. Right. So I mean, all the memories of that night were kind of flooding back to me. And you know, we talk a lot about those teams and who was good and what happened and you know Ray leaving and all that. But it's just just watch the game. And, and and there were things that I didn't remember about that game. I didn't remember that. Do you remember that, Leon Powell? Of course, you remember <laughs> Leon Powell. Love Leon Powell. <laughs> uh, you know, but the, you know, just the benches and, and just everything was. Uh, I don't think I'd sat down and watched a full game from that season in a long time. So that was that was a real anything is possible clip. Oh, of course. Anything is possible. I know. It was awesome. I mean, it was so great. The floor getting mobbed. I mean, that doesn't like you watch the when they win now. It's you know yes everyone's cheering but like this was this was like the whole like. It was a different level. I felt like, and I don't think it's selfish. I think we're just saying it felt like it was at a different level of what we've seen from champions in recent years. Um, you know, the franchise, the fans, everybody just jubilant. And uh, it wasn't about the players. It wasn't. It was. It was so much bigger than what you know Kobe had had done or what you know Steph well, had we done. We were still you know? in that stretch. Where we weren't used to being winners, right? That was only seven years into New England having a champion uh, champion around. Mm-hmm. So the Pats won in 01, and then you know the Sox follow, and so we got the Sox. But we were also being neglected. If you remember, the whole reason that this show got started was because nobody would talk about the Celtics because they were the only team that wasn't competing for a championship. Even the Bruins beat us to the punch in terms of being competitive for a stretch there. And Danny was taking all this flack when he when there was a conversation about the Celtics, it was derogatory in nature to the job that Danny was doing. How could he trade away Antoine Walker? All of that stuff. How could he take that team that, you know, kind of w- had a puncher chance against the New Jersey Nets how can he dismantle that and you know where are we going and the next thing you know they're worst to first and they trade for Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen obviously not in that order and then there we were not even 12 months later watching them raise the banner and some of that's about how fast that ride happened yeah oh absolutely I mean (laughs) we were doing this show before right 06, 07, the depths, the 18-game losing streak, Tony Allen blowing out his knee on a on a dunk after the whistle, Paul Pierce with a with an infection in his arm. I mean, 
everything that elbow gone thing wrong was in so bizarre too, right? Yeah, yeah. And the whole saving grace of dealing with that was that we were going to get the number one overall pick, right. and then the ping pong balls slap us upside the head with number five, and and the prospects at the top of that draft, obviously Greg Oden, Kevin Durant, you and I back and forth, but there were other players, including Jeff Green, that we had interest in, but we knew Don't the drop offs. Well. The, Oh, no, no. yeah, don't worry, I'm going. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> the drop-off point was, well, we saw him in a workout, and he was defended by a chair. Remember all that commentary? And so that was the drop-off point. We were like, seriously, number five? We have the right to pick. And then, look, where did Yee go? Where is he today? <laughs> where, 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 where are Where are Yee? <laughs> Where you be? I know. <laughs> it, it, it's uh, you know, and of course, Jeff Green gets t- chosen for that fifth pick, sent to Seattle, and you know everything was off. I that was also, I mean, just a year ago. I, I mean, I guess twelve, thirteen years ago, thirteen years ago, a year before that, oh eight, you know, run. I mean. It was as bad as it could get. I mean, we felt very good about Al Jefferson. We felt good about Perk and Rondo. I mean, it's not as if, uh, as bad as that season was, that, you know, no, all we hope got was lost. With Pierce coming back right. and maybe a number one pick that we would be building something and that Pierce would be the leader right. who would see us into that new guard. It, what we thought was going to happen is what's happening today. Right. Exactly. Like, and yeah. So that's how we thought it was going to go. And then it didn't, which is interesting, because what's going on today, if you even look at last season, everybody is like, why aren't we flipping these players and going and getting the next Kevin Garnett, Anthony Davis? Because that's the way it worked last time. But this just to remind everybody, this isn't the way that we expected it to work. This is quite what's happening now is the way we thought it was going to go that first go around, which is why. When that pick fell at number five, we were all thinking Rick Pitino and Tim Duncan. And, yeah, people went back to Len Bias, but that that wow. wasn't because we didn't have the pick. It just really was no correlation other than just a disappointment that we weren't going to have a top pick playing for the Celtics, but very loose. The real one was the Tim Duncan lottery and the Rick Pitino era that uh, became, I think, the most frustrating for people when it didn't. Remember Tommy's face? Because he went to the draft uh, or the lottery mm-hmm. when Definitely. when they when they pulled up number five. I mean, you could just hear him from like his broadcast voice. You heard it in your head. Oh, come on! You gotta be <laughs> kidding me! <laughs> no, it's true, and and I think that that was to go. I mean, just in a very short span, right? Mid May to you know end of July in two months. We went from as low probably as as I felt as a Celtics fan, or probably ever, honestly, you know, at, at that point, and feeling like all hope was lost to, uh, you know, draft night when we do the show and epic draft show, and and you know, second another shoe's gonna drop from Mike Gorman after the Ray Allen trade, and of course, you know, a month later, here we are. That move, and then and then that season, right? So then we move on to the season, and it was magic, right? I mean, it by was, the it way, was, another really shoot to drop with Mike Gorman. You just snuck that in there, yeah. but that was like a pivotal moment in our history because we had uh, that what six hour draft night show, and there was the trade for Ray Allen, and Mike came on for a quick 
maybe like 10 minute interview after the pick or soon on his way pick. home. He was driving on home. His, after well, but the, then he called us back oh, on right, his way right, right. home. So yeah. he called us like right after the pick, but it had to be quick hitting it. But right. Then he called us on his drive home and spent, I think, 90 minutes with us. Felt like and it. you're yeah. right. That whole conversation was Mike saying it's pretty hard to imagine them making a move like this. If there wasn't another, if there wasn't another move coming, another shoe to drop. Anyway, keep going. I just, I didn't want you to just slide right on by that because that interview with Mike and a lot of the ones after that from Grandy as well, you know, we had a lot of like one and a half hour, two hour conversations with them telling us throughout that season and into the next one what was really going on, what was really going to happen. And I think that's when the show really got legitimacy. As crazy as it sounds. Yeah, I think you're absolutely, absolutely right. I mean, I think that that was uh, that was when we kind of. We didn't jump the shark, but I think we jumped a level certainly uh, as a as a as a as a team as a as a as a broadcast as a show, and and we went from just and I the team also jumped up a level too, you know, and so that was a situation that so it jumped you, up every level. Yeah, like, right. Yeah. Like finished right. Frogger. Yeah. That's right. That's right. It was the kill screen from Donkey Kong. You know, it was, it's just everything. Boom. It was all over. I I just think that like we were, uh, it was a little bit of right place, right time for us. Sure. Um, but it was also a situation where, um, you know, I think everybody involved, like you said, everybody, the front office, the, the, the uh, media relations folks, the, the reporters around the team, I mean, everyone just kind of – it was different all of a sudden. Oh, know? it was and, so much fun going and, for me today, that following season, and just sure. – the. you're right. There was a whole bunch of new faces we'd never seen, but there was an old crew that had stuck through that that rebuilding stretch. You know, the Scott Souzas and the Jess Camerettos. She was kind of new like we were. Uh, you know, even Gary Zen from the Globe was kind of new. But then you had Bull Pat and uh, you had uh, and, and Mark Spears showed up. Yep. Right. Mark, like, for, yep. and, and so there was just but it was an interesting buzz amongst that whole crew and the looks on their faces. The ones who had been through that previous season when we first got the credentials <laughs> to the way, you know, like, man, we're actually going to enjoy this. <laughs> right like this is going to be a fun this is yeah. not only is it, are there going to be lots of stories but this is going to be fun and i think a lot of it again you know i got a chance to watch uncut gems but just kevin garnett and his energy and his attitude and everything else you know was i think part of the reason it was so much fun it wasn't just the winning it was the characters you know and watching that whole team come together man were they a unique bunch and i think that was you know Talking about that unique bunch, right? Because I, watching that game, uh, as, you know, first of all, Doc went 11 deep in that game, you know. <laughs> so everyone who wants to, like, get on, Doc, you know, Brad for playing too many guys or whatever, I mean, Doc went 11 deep in that game. So it's not, I mean, and it wasn't like, it was when the game was in doubt. This is not when the big blowout times. I mean, he was rolling big baby out there as a rookie. You know, Tony Allen got, I mean, everybody played in that game. A fair amount. Um, so kind of had to. They were getting tired. Yeah, I mean, they were. Honestly, that Detroit yeah. series wore them out before they even got to match up with the Lakers. Yeah, yeah. I and you know I think they had really had a big bullseye on that 
uh, Pistons series because that you know, the Pistons were kind of the East's elite at that point since they won in 04. The Wallaces, and Tayshaun yeah. Prince, right. Even though LeBron got past them in 07, I think people still looked at that Pistons team as kind of, you know, the, the elite, the pedigree team of the, of the East. And though probably not at the same level as, you know, some of the other teams out West, the Suns, the Spurs, all those guys, that was the team that everybody knew Boston had to go through. Right. And, you know, so they needed a bench. And I remember, you know, uh, you know, Bob Ryan got a lot of flack because he's like, you know, maybe they're an eight seed or something like that in terms of the Celtics saying, you know, you need to have a fully full out bench. Well, you know, and let's put PJ Brown aside because, you know, he came in later in the, in the, in the mix though. Posey was huge for this team. Absolute. I mean, he filled every mark and, and that is the type of guy. If he was a little younger, it was, he was, he was, he was the Robert Corey, the big he, shot. Yeah. But he would have been perfect to play against Odom. They had a lot of problems with Odom in 9 and 10. And I think that Posey was a guy playing that kind of before. Three slash four. That was new. Nobody was really doing that. We heard a lot of talk leading up to then that Danny was in love with that stretch for. Remember, Hakeem Warwick was coming out, and everybody had had him tied to a Hakeem Warwick because he was a light, but long four or that long three, everybody was always talking about that. The reason I mentioned the Robert Ori thing is because at media day that year, that was the question that I asked uh, Posey was, you know, do you think you can bring that, that Robert Ori, you know, presence to this team? And he goes, and he goes, why not James Posey? Like, you know, why not bring the James Posey effect to this team? (laughs) So he was kind of like, dude, don't compare me to anybody else. It was, it was a funny little, Funny little interview, but it was a ton of fun. But he was, though. I mean, he did all the dirt. And to your point, you know, Odom and Walker were really the only, you know, three slash four. And not because Antoine's quote, why do you shoot so many threes? Because they don't make <laughs> fours. But it was, you know, but they were they were that mold. And there weren't a lot of players in the league then. Now you look at Tatum and, and Brown. Wow. It's what everybody's coveting. The whole league. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And that's, the, you know, the, as, the, as the game started to change, you know, Odom was really a big fit because he was a guy who could ma- help the Lakers make that jump. You know, you can play Gasol at the five, you know, if, you know, without buying him or you can, you know, he just, he fit that role. Once the Celtics lost Posey right? after this year, Pose, Posey? No, no, Posey oh, had 6'9 or 6'8 and change. Yeah. yeah. But Odom was 6'10. That was yes. the big, yeah. Yeah, but you know that was I thought Posey was Posey was was really big, uh, and his loss kind of I think was really a, something they never were able to fill. But I mean Eddie House, man, Eddie House. I mean it felt like I I got the box score up. He only went one for five, but it felt like he hit every single three pointer he took uh, in the playoffs that year. I mean he was so clutch for these guys, bringing that that shooting off the bench. So that way when Rondo wasn't when. You know, they were kind of playing off of him, and boy, were they playing off of Rondo in that game six. You know, Pose, you put you put House in, and, you know, he just opens the floor for everybody. They, that guy can't wander away and double, you know, bring a quick double to Superior. Yeah, Eddie would just hang out in the corner and knock it down every time. It's, he was spacing. He was spacing. He was, yeah. yeah. What a bunch of fun that team was. It was. Leon Poe. I mean, I love Leon Poe. That was, that was probably one of my favorite guys of that whole crew because – he was somebody who was 
bottom of the second round pick and just always productive, always productive. And, and he and Mark Spears were tight. I don't know if you knew that, but they were both from Southern California. Yeah. yeah. They both had college careers. Mark's was ruined by knee injuries. I can't remember if it was an ACL, but you know, Mark was playing college ball. I don't know if he was playing it at UCLA like Leon was, but you know, Leon had ACL surgeries on both legs and still found a way to dig into the pros. So they had bonded on that. And uh, he was also a big Eric Weiss favorite at the time of Draft Express and now BBIQ but um, and Sports Aptitude. But um, but Eric was a huge fan of Leon Poe. And I remember asking Doc all kinds of questions about Leon. And we were leaving one time, and it was actually Mark Spears who teased me. But he was like, dude, you know, we got we got articles to write. We just had this huge game. They, You know, Pierce went off. Garnett, da 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 da, and you're asking questions about Leon Poe's playing time? <laughs> but that's what was great, was the end of that bench was fun to follow, even though they got good. And that doesn't usually happen. Usually you've got your top five guys in the rotation, and all anybody wants to focus on is them. And those end of the benchers are just kind of an afterthought. But there was tons of personality. You mentioned Big Baby. I mean, what about the crying fit on the bench and Kevin Garnett giving him such a hard time and, and all of that and what became Shrek and Donkey later on, right? Like, um, you know, those young players were key pieces. I mean, I know you said that they went 11 deep and they didn't always go 11 deep, but they needed some young players you know, look in the starting five, Rondo and Kendrick Perkins, young, young, unproven guys had to step up for them to win that championship. It didn't just happen. P.J. Brown, you know, probably the only needed him to shoot one shot, but it was the one shot they needed him to hit. Um, it was just an amazing, amazing time. Pretty magical. I think, you know, it's just that's, you know, going into that season, though, they were not counted on to do well, but the stars were so strong that it allowed everyone to play their role. And the, all of those guys gave a little bit of themselves. They were the young players who hadn't established themselves, or they were older players who had already been there, done that. So everyone was able to find that role. And we talk about last year's team. It's just so refreshing to see a team that it's about winning. It's about the, you know, the, the championship chase. And it didn't get, you know, sidetracked with individual pursuits. And that was what was so, uh, I guess, laudatory. Endearing. 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 That's it. Yeah, totally. Totally endearing just to watch those guys and be like, man, they are giving all of themselves. I mean, the hustle, the hustle those guys brought defensively, locking down the Lakers in that game. I mean. They did not want to give up a point. They were not going to just simply go quietly in the night and give it all up. They were they were focused and they were rabid. They were going after it, you know. And that's that was what was so fun to watch about that team, you know. From one to fifteen, those guys were battling. And that night, you know, like I said, it was just a celebration. And well, let's I get was, to that. Give me one second, because go for it. Celebrations, a whole nother piece. That's a whole nother. Uh, Half of the show, really, it could be. So we're going to tell you about Bet Online with currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB. 
you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on, or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack. All open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, even the weather. Visit the website or use your mobile device and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use promo code CLNS50. Bet online, your online wagering experts. All right, John. So the celebration, right? Celebrate good times. Uh, really, it was. It was. Uh, they were endearing, and that win was elating. And it's amazing that they played the Lakers, honestly, uh, because it could not have been scripted up any better. And you hear it all the time. Oh, yeah, Lakers, Celtics, Celtics, Lakers. Da, da, da. But for that drought to be so long, right, 22 years or no? Yeah, 22 years. 22 yep. years. Yep. So that I was going to say, thanks for checking my math. Because <laughs> uh, 22 years. Um, for them to go back and it to be against the Lakers is pretty, pretty phenomenal. And I think that's, you know, honestly, I know KG would have gone into the rafters anyway, you know, but had that championship been against Portland or, you know what I mean? I'm not, it, that was a big part of it was the rivalry. KG became part of the Celtics and Lakers rivalry. And, and so not taking anything away, cause you know how I feel about the man, but just saying, that that was, you know, that that was an important piece for his legacy because yes, they played again in 2010. You want to talk about leaving it all on the floor? I mean, Kendrick Perkins was dead, you know, and they lost, but not from that lack of scrap and effort. They just didn't have any more in the tank, and um, you know, uh, I think that that's a big part of of that legacy, and and was that team his attitude. And then, you know, two matchups against the Lakers, he's cemented in uh, in that rivalry. It's, it's key. You know, he didn't have a great series. You know, that that was, you know, going back and look at these these numbers here, he didn't have a great series. Oh, he that's right. Really, Paul was the MVP, right? Paul was the MVP. Paul had the better series. But, but Kevin had the better game six, the clincher. He was a little, you know, full fired up. You could tell he was a little bit too much, a little too much, you know, Kevin going on. But <laughs> but once he he went ten for eighteen, he was, he had eleven boards, excuse me, fourteen boards, four assists, twenty six points, three steals, and a block. That's a pretty darn good game there for for Kevin Garnett. Uh, you know, he he was he Ray Allen had 26 as well, four boards. Uh, Paul uh, Ray was seven for nine from three uh, in the in the uh, in the seven uh, for nine. He went on to do that for Miami, too, right? He tied the single game record <laughs> uh, record for NBA at that point. We in seven for nine. Wow. Sure. He made 21 threes. Ray made 21 threes in the finals, which at that point was a finals record. I'm guessing it's no longer a finals record. Uh, <laughs> things have changed in the game a little bit that, since then. But, yeah, I, I, Kevin Garnett needed that game. He needed that game to cement his legacy. He really did. I I, I think that he was always going to be a great player, 
but he would have been a guy that's more put on the level of of someone like Barkley or someone who's um, who had a good career but was never able to get over the hump. And this this cemented it. This cemented his legacy. But it also for someone whose game was or, or someone whose uh, game and his his import to the game was so much more about what he did as a teammate and what he did as a leader. He needed this victory to cement that. And I think that's why it's important. It's not so much that he wasn't a great player, but it, it to look at his case as an hour, probably a hall of fame player, um, likely this is going to be a big part of that. And the fact that he led this team, he led this franchise, he led this city, this region, to this championship. But then uh, the loyalty to Minnesota too. I mean, when you talk sure. about the Hall of Fame piece, the loyalty to Minnesota through all of that, I mean, and the way that he had to be coaxed to come yep. to Boston, like that was not an easy prying. There were rumors that Boston was going to trade for him going back 14 months to it finally getting executed. There were long, there were definitely conversations. I'm not saying this from firsthand knowledge, but there were definitely conversations that had been going on between Ainge and McHale for a very long time. And I think, you know, there must have been some conversation around Al Jefferson. And then as one window was closing and another window you know, might be opening with Paul Pierce. It was clear Minnesota wasn't going to get Kevin, who they needed. They'd tried and not been successful to put Kevin around other players that were going to win a championship in Minnesota. And it was clear that it was time to move on. And it was good for Kevin, too, because no better time for him to have moved on. We thought there were going to be a lot more years. The other thing about that legacy was he came to Boston to win a championship, and he did it in year one. So there was a lot of elation, but there was also a lot of optimism that, hey, they didn't win this on their last opportunity. They won this on their first opportunity. We should have another three years of this after this. you know. And, and we all know how that wound up playing uh-huh. out. That's why you've got to go for it when you've got it like they did. But imagine if, Imagine if just a partial amount of the potential criticism that was going around heading into that season was true, that they couldn't coalesce, that they couldn't coexist, that they, and you know, that did wind up bearing out over time with Ray too. We did see that happen. But if that had happened in year one, they would have never had a championship. The fact that they shut that down and, and just put the whole thing to bed right away does say a lot about not only the players and their unselfishness, but their will to win in the moment. You know, they didn't go, hey, we got four years to accomplish this goal. They came in, they went over to Europe, they all bonded, and they were like, this, we got to do it this year. Don't wait, got to do it this year. And that's the right attitude. You want to win anything in life? You got to go in trying to get it on your first opportunity, not, hey, I've got four or five cracks at this. That's true. That's true. So let's let's jump ahead to that night. So only one of us was in the garden on June seventeenth, June seventeenth, two thousand eight. Yeah, seventeen, baby. Seventeen, which is Justin's whole thing. So Doc's birthday. Who else's birthday? Uh, is it Paul's birthday? Isn't Doc and Paul the same birthday? I think it's Doc and Paul's birthday. Yeah, I think so. I'm gonna look it up. So keep going. Set it up. So, set it up. Well, I'm setting you up. So this is. I'm sitting at home. I, I like many of those who are listening. I'm sitting at home. I'm watching on the couch, right? I know that we're gonna go post game. We're gonna we're gonna record a show after you're done doing the stuff in the locker room, talking with everybody. Uh, 
JB and I were going to join you and and uh, and Patrick Gilroy on on the air on a radio show. Uh, We were going to simultaneously put that out to our listeners, which we did. But you were there. You were in the building. You were in the post game. You smelled like champagne uh, and whatever else they had going in the locker room. Tell me what just walking in. You know, what was that night like walking in? Was there a sense of anticipation going into it that they're going to lock this thing down? Or what What was the feeling? I think the feeling was like they got to win this one. And by the way, totally off on, I don't know whose birthday it was, but Paul and Doc are October 13th. But I feel like it was somebody's birthday. There was something about that day that had an, an extra level connection. It'll come back to me. All right. Walking into the building, it was like, they have to win this one. They'd have another shot at it in L.A., but you got to win it in front of the home crowd. That's the best way to put it away. Plus, you never know what can happen when you go back for Game 7. So there was kind of a lot of trepidation there, too, because people were like, well, wait, no. With they weren't game going seven, back. They weren't they going were- back. They had both no. games in Boston. That's right. back. That was the 2-3-2. Two, two. That's right. right. So uh, my bad. So I think it was let's put it away and not leave the door open. Let's get it at home. But i got to be honest with you. Walking into that building, I was probably just as dorked out as Kevin Garnett was before the game. You know what I mean? Because you're just – you're ready for it. And keep in mind, backdrop to this story, I did not go cover the team during the Pistons um, matchup, uh, the Eastern Conference Finals, because – I had a baby. <laughs> well, my wife did. No, and you did. So, that's a yeah, better story. I, yeah, that's a crazy story. Let's digress. <laughs> yeah. My, you know, we, we, our youngest daughter, Alex, was born, you know, um, May 8th. So we're in the middle of that Detroit series. And, you know, this whole run, I mean, it's amazing. My wife is even still with me or, or has put up with me. Wow. You know, because <laughs> there I was, you know, for a couple of home games in the finals. I, you know, but again, I stayed home for the Pistons, but I was I was raring to go to be at the finals and experience it and praying that they were going to get through the Eastern Conference finals just so I'd have that opportunity, you know, because that's what that's what we were working towards at the time. So I'm pretty sure I was juiced up beyond, you know, anything walking in. Plus, I, I can't remember, but I think we did the pregame show because I would stop at JB's house. Um, for a lot of those playoffs, do a pregame show with Gilroy and you, and then postgame would be hosted by Gilroy on, was it ESPN Radio? Yeah, yeah. I think it was ESPN Radio at the time. So he was doing pregame with us, and we were doing postgame with him, and I'm pretty sure I, so you got to imagine how more chaotic that is. It's a a two-and-a-half-hour ride from Maine with a stop in, was he in Melrose? I think he was in Melrose. Yep. Um, with a stop in Melrose, with all the stuff hooked up, and then in, and I may not have done a pregame. It might have been you and JB only on that one. But then, I, then I head into the garden, you know, cover the team, do all the pregame, all the interviews, blah 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 blah. Go find your seat. It's a whirlwind, and um, I, you know, I did for the for the playoffs. You know, I did not get the same seating I did for the regular season. Um, way up in they call it the halo. And so you're basically I'm I'm looking it's basically the seats I bought to take my family to the Houston Rockets game this season. And you know, you're basically looking right at the jumbotron. 
But I remember this is the vivid. I have two or three vivid memories. The, um, there was ice sculptures all over the place. I kind of remember that. But my first vivid memory is um, Kevin Garnett on the Jumbotron with anything is possible. But then looking at it from that vantage point of you can see them interviewing, you know, kind of like near the scorers table and the confetti has just gone off. And uh, and seeing him say that, like, it was just, you know, I remember just looking around. It was so surreal. It's like, I can't believe they won the championship. And even, you know, especially that newer media, we were all kind of looking at each other like, hell yeah. You know, we were fans in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and and then you couldn't get into the locker room. They had to They had to block it off. There were too many people. So I never made it in for the champagne because I was doing a couple of other things. And then finally, Brian Scalabrini emerges from the locker room more than a little inebriated, maybe, maybe not. And he's got the champagne bottle and he is just going around being a total character. I think he was the only one to really come out except for the official interviews. And then I remember Kevin Garnett's interview. I got to ask him the last question uh, of his interview. You know, and I, I asked him if he remembered, the, you know, the commercial. I remember finding out about you and he's like oh yeah man you know since we came we use that clip his response to that question we use that clip clip quite a bit and intros you know back at uh, right around that 2008 to 2010 kind of stretch but you know and i said you know what's the what's the fan base you know the follow-up what's the fan base you know mean to you and uh i think that the memory i have is how sincerely kevin said in that moment not having even been there a year not even having been a Boston Celtic for a year, that he had, like you could just tell, because of the way the fans responded to him, that he had embraced the fan base in this city as a Celtic for life, and you knew it right in that moment. And those are the things that stand out to me the most from that night. I think, so, okay, because I I never knew that. So sometimes, so the way it usually works for those who cover game, because I was there during the – while well, you were in your uh, being a dad moment there uh, in 2008, uh, I went to the one game they lost at home, <laughs> which was the Pistons game. Yeah, I right. was yeah right. This is why I didn't want to. Go. So that was we getting... you didn't want them to lose too. That's when we thought that the yeah. series might be in trouble. Exactly. Yeah, because that was so you had to sign up well in advance of the finals to get credentials for that. that. That was all run through the NBA, whereas up to so the Pistons and Eastern Conference Finals and all the games before that playoffs, it was just through the Celtics. So we had our credentials. One of us went. So Justin being out of the mix because, you know, he's obviously being a dad, that was fine. I came in, you know, I did the thing. I think JB did a game as well. Um, that was no big deal. Um but obviously, it was a different it was a different feeling. So like when you're near the end of a game, you always kind of get your stuff together and start heading down the elevator because you don't want to get in the locker room, get a good spot or whatever. In this what in this situation, I would imagine that was like they're like no 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 <laughs> we got enough people down on the floor like you guys in the halo you new media guys you stay up here like it seems like they were just like no no we're glad you're here but. <laughs> Thanks. thanks. No, it's, Hang but on a but sec. it was crammed. It was crammed, and there sure. was like where the way they had, like, it looked totally different underneath the seats 
in the media section, there's areas where it's like wide open. And because of the amount of media that they had to host, they had to take that area and build it up into where they were serving food and where they were doing the um, interviews, you know, the post-game interviews. It was like a big table. I mean, usually you're kind of in a fairly small room and they come in or you're just in the locker room, but they literally could not accommodate that. Um, especially by the finals, but I think the Eastern Conference Finals was, and and it might have, might have been all through the playoffs, but there was definitely kind of a reworking of the logistics of being, you know, a member of the media versus the way it is during the regular season. Did uh, so that night? I mean, and and I just kind of your recollections. I'm kind of interested in because, you know. I felt like that was the beginning of a long run. We kind of talked about this earlier. I kind of felt like this was just like 86. <laughs> I felt like, okay, now we're going to, we're going to, obviously we're going to win in 09. Cause you know, what can the Lakers do? And they, they mortgaged all of their future huh, to get Gasol, you know, maybe Bynum gets better, but this is pretty much what we're going to see. Maybe the Suns will make a run or whatever, maybe the Spurs, but pretty much like that was it. Obviously, you know, the, the bone spur in KG's knee was kind of really limited the Celtics' ability. And then, of course, a whole bunch of injuries in 09 after KG got hurt that really decimated the team. Rondo's was gruesome. Rondo's, well, the playoffs, you mean after? Uh, was that 10? 11? That's 11. Oh, that was 11. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, when he bent his elbow back. Yes. Disgusting. Well, and then when, tried to play through it. When Dwayne right. Wade when bent, his Wade elbow. bent his elbow back, yeah, uh, yeah, he's a yeah. Uh, there was a whole rash yeah. of injuries year after <laughs> year after year, you know. Yeah. And and if you remember, there was the undiagnosed bone spur with Al Jefferson that had a good oh, yeah. group of NBA, uh, I should say, Celtics fans, and specifically JB, who you know had a bullseye or placed a target on uh, was it Dr. Brian McKean? Is that the team doctor? Yes, yes. So there was, yeah. like, there was just tons of criticism. Like, how can you not diagnose that? Al was, uh, you know, hurt all that time, and they just kept saying it was a shin injury and da-da-da-da-da. So then – Yeah. What, yeah, right, tough it out. He can tough it out. So then when the, when it when it came up to KG's injury, then it was all – is the team mismanaging it? And then to your point, just injury after injury. Obviously, Rondos has nothing to do with, you know, any of that. Um, and a lot of it doesn't. You know, even Tony Allen's knee, right? Like some of this stuff just happens. It's just freakish, and it just happens. But the KG one, when he wasn't able to come back really and play well in the po- in the postseason, should they have shut him down sooner? Did they mismanage this? Like that was an enormous storyline that year. It was, and that was, it was an enormous storyline because that was, the mismanagement is almost more PR related than it was actually maybe medical uh, because, you know, he couldn't play and, and all that, but it was, it was setting expectations of, can he come back? Well, he may, he'll be back next week and two weeks. And then, you know, it, it just, it never came. And and meanwhile, you had guys getting concussions and big baby got hurt and perk and like everybody at some point, I think Scal was playing 25 minutes a night you know, as they were starting that playoff run. And they had an amazing was that playoff. the year that he got, they played the Lakers during the regular season and he went off for like 26 or 28 points and got named the white Mamba and all that. Didn't that all happen? I don't remember that. I don't remember that. No, so but remember him being called be. the white Mamba. Well, yeah, I've, I've heard that. Yeah. That 
But I Did thought that, that was more of, before that. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. I thought the White Mamba thing was more of a of a thing that started when he was in Chicago, but I, I could be wrong about that. I okay. You know, I kind of I, I take all the Mamba stuff, I throw it all in the same bucket, so I kind of ignore. <laughs> but, but you know, that's all right. That's all right. I I think that you know that was. I guess my point was. We couldn't have foreseen what was coming in 09 and 10. Um, and what's, that's what makes 8 all the more special, I think. But it's just, you look at how that, it was, everything was so perfect. And 9 and 10 showed how difficult it really is and why perfection is just, you really have to treasure it, you know? And I, there's a, oh, I wish they had won. But the other piece of it is it makes eight all the more special, I think, because you really do appreciate the fact it all did hit. It all it did come together. And, uh, you know, it's a shame it didn't last longer. But thank goodness we had it when we did. Absolutely, John. And you know what? It was really I'm not I'm not trying to be like really grandiose with this. Grandiose. See, there's a pun in there. <laughs> It really was one of the most special times of my entire life. Like when I when I'm on my deathbed, hopefully I'll be, you know, well into my 80s and still fairly healthy. I will never forget that. You know, there's there's a handful of moments, you know, that I have kind of collected that all kind of stand out. Like if I go back and go, oh, yeah, you know, there was Pine Tree Camp for anybody who's from Maine who may be knowledgeable, you know, shape me as a person. And, you know, this experience, getting the credentials and doing something entrepreneurial and coming up with this show and finding ways to get into the locker room. And then just the, it really felt magical. And I've said it before, you know, but we're 12 years removed from that era in my life. You know, that's, that's a quarter of my life, a little bit more than a quarter of my life ago. And I only remember the first quarter. So, um, it stands out as one of the most enjoyable, one of the most forcing me outside of my comfort zone, one of the most rewarding, but definitely one of the most memorable times, you know, since I've been alive and I'll never forget it. And I'll always be grateful that the Celtics didn't take those credentials away from us when they finally got good, that they remembered that we were there, you know, through, you know, <laughs> one of the worst seasons they'd ever had, um, and I was grateful to them for that. So um, I'll never forget it. I'm glad I'm glad they got it when they did, because like you said, you know, if they had taken that year for granted, you know, I wouldn't I would that memory would not be nearly as sweet. No doubt. No doubt about it. And it's it's uh, for like you said, for an adult Celtics fan, uh, this is probably the only unless you're a lot older, uh, you know, our age and I guess older. Uh, this is the only championship, you know, and uh, I'm so glad that they have a chance. These fans have had a chance to experience it and, and really fall in love with those Celtics teams. They were special, but it also kind of makes you thirsty for the next one, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And it's we'll talk next time about, you know, how this is all going to play out. And I think another week under our belts and we're heading into April, it's going to become really clear whether or not we'll even have a postseason or if this whole thing is just going to be scrapped and looking to next year to hit the reset button. So stay tuned for that, everybody. Keep your heads up. Um, I hope everybody is safe at home. I hope you're listening and we're just one of those ways that you're getting through 
the days and definitely to all my fellow healthcare workers that are there on the front lines. If you even have uh, a spare moment to even listen to the show, if you are, um, a huge thank you to you because, um, you know, I know supplies like PPE are running low and, and you're all going into the fire. So keep up the good work and, um, just let you know that uh, we appreciate everything that you're doing. This broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Media Mobile app. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. A heartfelt thank you to everybody for tuning in. And remember that you can help support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. We'd love it if you gave us a rating and a review because your feedback is important to the show. And for staff writer Samuel Elias. Seven. Executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Media, Nick Gelso. And for my co-host, John Duke, I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Probably my best opportunity to win the rings.